Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whenever you're listening. This is Davisville on KDRTLP 95.7 FM in Davis, California. You can find us online at kdrt.org slash Davisville. I'm Bill Buchanan. Thank you for tuning in today. Well, Davis has been a city for more than 100 years, and in that time, the group of people chosen by voters to make decisions for Davis, that is to say, the city council, has had only about 85 members total. Not really a big number. Today, we're talking with Dan Carson, the newest former member of the council. He stood for election for a second term in November 22 in Council District Number 1. You'll recall Davis has gone to district elections, uh, but he lost to Bapu Vaitla. Dan is joining us today for an excellent interview, which continues a series of interviews I've done on Davisville over the years with other members as they have left the council. Anyway, Dan, thank you for spending time with us today. Oh, and thank you for having me. So some years ago, when I was a newspaper editor in Solano County, I knew a Sassoon City Council member who was running for re-election, and he lost, and he was relieved, even glad, really, to be done with the hours, the responsibility, the political garbage. You've been off the council for a few weeks now as we talk. How's the change feel to you? I'm adjusting. I'm a workaholic. I think most folks who know me well know that. And of course, i am got my pre-end-of-year tax reviews done. I'm working to help my youngest son, who we moved back into our house because he's dealing with an on-the-job injury. So I still have a busy life. I'm playing racquetball three times a week. But, you know, I still find myself having to stop and say, when some civic issue comes up that I become aware of, you know, that's not my job anymore. Hmm. And I have to stop and halt and say, I don't have to worry about that. Is that a good feeling or a neutral? Or? It's a mixed feeling. Yeah. You know, I did want to continue in this job. It didn't work out. This is democracy. This is how things work. But I'm going to take a year and figure out for myself sort of what comes next. I'm in no rush. This is what I did when I retired the first time in 2012. And uh, eventually I found a course that I wanted to take. And so I do look forward at some point to figuring out what comes next. But I'm in no rush to figure that out. Okay. You know, part of the premise for today's show and, and the prior interviews I've done with folks as they leave the council is that spending time in the, let's call it the political engine room of Davis, must show you things that most of us don't see. Did serving on the council change the way you look at Davis or perhaps the way you think of Davis? And if so, how? I think it took me down the course that I already was down. You know, I'm a financial guy. I spent 17 years as a state policy guy advising the legislature on fiscal and policy issues. And it was interesting to see how the issues that I were my stock and trade, if you will, at the state level turned out to be important to apply at the local level as well. You know, I, I ran our health section at the legislative analyst's office for about four or five years. Well, who knew that we would be dealing with COVID and that we would have to make really life and death decisions about how we would implement both the state and the county health protocols for dealing with this very dangerous situation, especially in the early days. So I started to appreciate more the sort of the connection between the state level policy, federal policy, and what happens at the local level. I see. So you could really see how that does play out here. Oh, yeah, definitely. I, and I'm also curious about, well, you and I both worked in newsrooms, different newspapers. Once I became a journalist, 
I ended up looking at the town differently. I've known people who are police officers, and they say that once they become an officer in a jurisdiction, they start looking at people differently. What I'm wondering is how being on the council changed how you looked at Davis. And I, I didn't look this up, but I think four years ago when you were here with Gloria Pardita, and you had both just won election, and I'd asked if anything on the council had surprised. And one of the other of you, I think, talked about like you get calls about like barbecues. People would call and say, you know, I've got a neighbor who's just <laughs> stinking up the street with his barbecue. Can you stop it? Can you intervene or something like that? I would not have thought, if you just asked me ahead of time, that, oh, yeah, people could be calling up the council and saying, you know what, I, I got a barbecue smell problem. Would you would you address it? So Sure. And we had plenty of barbecue and broken sidewalks and a million other little issues like that to deal with that are, of course, important to constituents. And especially as we moved to the district election mode, I knew I had to place more of a focus on that, and I, and I did so. I think the more important thing that I came away with, though, you know, over the course of the four years, and of course, again, I was elected citywide and, and ran citywide. I think I, I came to really understand the opportunity that's presented to you for leadership. There's so many different things that cities deal with that no one council member, not even city staff, can deal with just on their own. So it's an all-hands-on-deck situation. And I found there was a sort of free reign to jump into the things that I thought were important that interested me and, and run with the ball and have an impact. Of course, you only were going to be effective to the extent that you could work collaboratively with others, especially on the council. And I was very fortunate that I didn't create the situation. I walked into and inherited a situation where there was a council modus operandi of people working with each other, of not taking cheap shots at each other for political purposes and things like that. You saw with this council that on all the really major decisions, we were 5-0 votes on things. We would work out and achieve compromises. Where we had split votes, they tended to be narrower tactical uh, strategic decisions where we had the same goal in mind, but didn't necessarily agree exactly on the right way to get there. I learned a lot, uh, you know, working with this council and, and uh, I'm upbeat about it. So, you know, the, one of the concerns of the times, and this isn't just about Davis now, but that overall we're all very polarized. You certainly see it in Congress. But what you're describing is the opposite of that. In the way we operated at the council level, yes. Okay. But is the general community really divided on very strong lines about growth and yeah. issues like that? Absolutely. And, you know, it had a lot to do with my, my not winning the second time around. Yeah, well, in fact, I want to talk about that in a minute, Measure H and, and, and so on. I, I am concerned, I'll tell you, that the way communication in our community occurs is changing. There's less reliance, and we've got surveys we do every two or three years that the city shows us, less and less reliance on traditional journalism outlets, more and more reliance on blogs, and what's really changed is Nextdoor Davis coming to the fore as a source of information about city government. And it's very troubling because 
There's not a journalistic ethic involved. It's poorly moderated, not moderated at all in many cases. It's become a tool for folks who want to mislead and misrepresent. I'm very concerned about the impact that could have on our civic dialogue. Yeah. So, so there's a few pieces in there. The, the traditional media in town would be the Davis Enterprise. And, uh, you know, it's no secret. It's, it doesn't have nearly the reach that it used to have. Uh, nearly, it isn't the size it used to be. Next door is a social app, right? The whole idea is it's neighborhoods. You can right. talk to your neighbor about things. And I, the sense I got, it was originally about, I don't know, garage sales and such, but it's turned into more than that, you're saying. At least in your experience of it, that's really changed. It has. And again, we do these surveys every two or three years. And in recent years, the number of folks who who get, as a percentage, get their information or say they get the information about city government from that source is doubled. So it, it's worth paying attention to this. How do you solve that? I mean, you're, you're a news guy, among other things, and now you've been a member of the council. How do, how do you address that? It's a private company that runs this thing. They should have the ethics to ensure that their their platform is moderated so that what gets to a community is factual information. Yeah. I mean, you could also have an alternative source to that, which I guess it was originally uh, an alternative. I don't know what that would be, but I guess it's it's a question that comes up a lot, I think, in a lot of discussions. How do we inform each other? To what degree does that contribute to an understanding or a misunderstanding. And we're talking very abstractly here, obviously not about a particular thing, but uh, right. I was just curious how you might approach that as a council member because the traditional media doesn't have the, the reach that it used to have in this town. And, you know, being on the council, it, it's an important position in this town, but I'd be willing to bet, you know, 90% of Davis has no idea who's on the council, probably knows there is one, but. Uh, True. And, and with the district, the new format, the district there, there are probably a lot of people that don't know in whose district they are. I mean, that's pretty clear. And, you know, we started this a couple of years ago. So there is going to be a transition and maybe over time people will get it more. But also you have to understand folks have busy lives. If you've got kids, you're running to after school meetings and sports and all sorts of activities. You're trying to put food on the table. I appreciate that folks elected people like me to pay attention to things that they don't have the time themselves to do. I totally get that. How's Davis doing overall? I think remarkably well. Again, I think by our ability of our council to work together collaboratively, we've really taken some significant steps forward on things that are measurable and objectively important. Okay, give me an example or two. That, uh... I'll give you two or three examples. One is the amount of housing units that have been, um, that the campus has moved forward with through an agreement with our city. That's UC Davis. 6,200 beds are almost done. It's remarkable. Our city Starting with the actions that were taken just before I came on council, we've got six or 7,000 beds built, approved, under construction, soon to be under construction. We're making a real dent in a very serious problem. The full benefit of these actions hasn't played out yet, but I think we'll see that. The other example I'll give you is on city finances. Uh, as I walked in the door 
And I spent four and a half years on the City Finance and Budget Commission before I spent about four and a half years on City Council focused on financial issues. At the time I walked in the door on Council, we had about an $8 million a year funding gap. Over the course of these last four years, the numbers bumped around a bit, but we cut that in half. We made progress on applying money to build and repair our parks and streets and roads and bike paths, really important things. The other one, it's maybe it's more intangible, but the way we've changed our working relationship between the city of Davis and the UC Davis campus is remarkable. We had decades of the normal kinds of town gown friction, mostly over campus growth. And we moved to a situation with a written MOU where we're all held accountable to each other, that we made promises on how we would work together not to limit campus growth, but to have this campus help us work through the impacts of that growth on housing and transportation and finances. We've made remarkable progress. They've lived up to their part of the deal as far as I'm concerned. And had we not found a way, new way to work together, we wouldn't have had Healthy Davis together, which saved infections, hospitalizations, and from one independent study, saved 35 lives in this town. Yeah, that's the uh, COVID, um, well, COVID testing program and, and more than that in, in the end. Exactly right. Yeah. Three important things, housing, finances, and our town gown relationship changed okay. dramatically for the better. We're talking with Dan Carson, who until recently was a member of the Davis City Council. I am Bill Buchanan, Davisville, on KDRT LP 95.7 FM. Well, let's talk about the election a little bit, and you've alluded to this already, uh, Measure H. This also goes to the growth question. There's a lot to this, so I just, I'm just i going to quote from uh, Ann Turnus-Bellamy's post-election article in the Davis Enterprise. Measure H was a ballot measure in June 2022, and this basically was about to approve a proposal to build offices, labs, and manufacturing space, plus housing on land east of Mace and north of I-80, was known as the Davis Innovation and Sustainability Campus, or DISC for short. So, quoting Ann's article now, the battle over Measure H included a lawsuit filed over the ballot arguments opposing the project. Councilman Dan Carson filed the writ seeking court-ordered changes to the ballot argument and Judge Daniel McGuire ultimately ordered two changes, removing the word only from one section and changing a unit of measurement related to greenhouse gas emissions. The remainder of the ballot argument was left intact. The signers of the ballot argument were ultimately awarded $42,000 in attorney fees to be paid by Carson. Outcry over that lawsuit dominated the final two months of the Measure H campaign, with a number of Davis residents weighing in on social media and in letters to the editor saying it had swayed their vote. So, Dan, I guess my question to you is now that the verdicts are all in, by verdicts I mean the elections, there were two elections, the June election on Measure H, the November election on your second term, uh, the litigation, the judge and all that. Now that all that's done, how do you reflect on that experience? Sure. As I said during my campaign for re-election, it was a political mistake to file litigation. It was a political mistake. I have no regrets at all about fighting for housing and jobs in this community. And it gets to that core issue we talked about, city finances. We still have a funding gap between the money we need to run this city and what our needs are. And if we don't address that, it's not about dollars. It's about the quality of life in this community. This project, over time, 
at full build-out would have generated a net of $4 million a year, which is just about exactly the amount of the funding gap the city is still struggling with to solve. Very important to address it. Voters didn't go along with that. I think core issues were such things as the, the long festering problems with traffic at that end of the city. And even though this was a project that included improvements at a long list of intersections, an independent analysis said traffic conditions were going to be better with the project built and all of the traffic mitigation that was going to occur than if it weren't. But there's no point in relitigating it because under our system, Measure J, which I supported extending it, uh, giving our voters a voice in important land use issues such as that one, they decided they didn't want it. I accept the, the decision of the voters, made that really clear that I did. And then you go on and you can mull about it, but my approach instead was, what's the next solution and I worked hard for three years of my four years on council as, a, as one of those assigned to work on the, the downtown plan uh, after our downtown plan commission finished its excellent work and COVID hit. There was work to be done to get this across the finish line. I worked hard to make sure it moved ahead. And while I wasn't able to be there for the last meeting to vote on that downtown plan, it happened one meeting too late for me. I, I felt I was able to help keep the ball moving and get us across that finish line on what's the next important action of the city that does address those fiscal issues and does help improve our quality of life here. And that's the downtown part you're talking about. Exactly. Yeah. Do you think, well, I should explain a little bit, Measure J is a sort of a fundamental thing established in Davis. It's had different names over the years, but the idea is that if you're going to annex something to the city and grow, then that goes to a vote of the people. Even though the council may approve the project or say we like it or don't like it, but it would go to a vote. And so Measure H was held pursuant to that. This kind of gets in the weeds, but it's important to kind of understand that's oh, how Davis bet. works. Do you think it would have uh, passed if you hadn't filed the... No way to know. No way yeah. to know. There's no question that it, it was a setback for the campaign. And so I don't relitigate all of that because, again, you accept the outcome of what happened uh, and you try to learn from it in your life. I would also say I take a different perspective. I think I looked and saw that I had been involved in eight different ballot measures over the course of from about 2016 till recently, both candidates and land use and tax measures. My batting average was I was on the prevailing side on five out of eight of those. Uh, when I fought for the renewal of our sales tax, Measure Q, it passed with an 83% positive vote. There wasn't another tax measure in the state of California in that election that got a higher yes proportion. I led that campaign. And so you have to accept in a democracy that you win some, you lose some. People are not always going to agree with what you want to do. But I will also say, when I ran in 2018, I saw circumstances in which the council had put measures on the ballot and didn't make the effort that I thought was justified and warranted to try to explain to the voters the case for it. And I made the decision and said so in 2018, that if I was going to vote to put something on the ballot, I was going to fight for it. 
I wasn't going to run away from it. And that's been my approach throughout. So you wish you hadn't taken that tactic of filing the suit, but you still believe in the project. I believe we definitely had to find a way to leverage this incredible relationship. We've got this great luck that we sit next to this incredible university. It sits outside of our city limits, though. So we have to be creative and find ways to leverage that to for the benefit of our city. And, and by leverage, you're talking about like the the, um, the discovery, the research that comes out of that that can lead to jobs and things like that. Plus, straightforward sales and property taxes, the money you need to run this place. They sit outside our city limit, but doesn't mean there aren't viable strategies to do that. And there are still ways to do that that we have pursued the last four years and will continue to do so. You've got a incredible resource there of bright minds, innovation folks who are very knowledgeable in dealing with the huge challenges we face right now, like climate change. We made a point of putting a lot of those bright minds on our city commissions to help us on the issues the city faces. Okay, so you see DISC as sort of a part and parcel of that whole. Absolutely. What are you going to miss from being on the council? I think that give and take in that public setting, I tried to play the role when it was appropriate of pulling together compromises on the important issues of our time. It was enjoyable, for example, my very last meeting, my very last agenda item was to pull together a compromise on our council on how we would deal with electrification of people's homes in a way that I think could be very productive and effective and beneficial to our environment, but without hurting people in their ability to buy and sell homes, yeah, to the, make so, improvements. So this was the city's environmental plan, and part of it that got a lot of attention was when a house would sell, if it had gas fixtures, it would have to convert to electricity. Exactly. I came up with a compromise that said that for the first once we launched a voluntary effort, a well-coordinated effort to educate people about the fiscal benefit to themselves of moving to more modern equipment that reduces greenhouse gas emissions, but could also reduce their home electricity bill, that we would evaluate how much progress were we able to make after three years. And if that point it wasn't working out, then we could consider mandatory measures. But I saw the great work that Cool Davis had done in moving people through a voluntary program to rooftop solar. 24 megawatts of electricity in this town are being generated by rooftop solar. Not one of those folks had to be mandated to do it. I think there's a way to do that with other kinds of electrification. You know, that that's kind of where the old phrase, that's where the rubber meets the road in Davis, right? I mean, there's the intent, there's the, there's the goal, a uh, variety of things. Yes, we need more housing, but then these people say, don't build it here. The traffic study that you alluded to for Measure H, I got to believe at a gut level, most people don't believe traffic studies that say you're going to add this big development and somehow there will be less traffic. I, I just don't think people believe it. What you're talking about with uh, home conversions, I think people, they want cleaner air, but if someone says, yeah, but it'll be a $50,000 uh, bill when you convert your house, it invites people to think twice about it. And yet, obviously, we want cleaner air. We don't want housing to be $5 billion for 
you know, an East Davis bungalow. I'm exaggerating a little bit. Sure, but there is good models that we've had around on how you can make these changes well, I guess in that's, a voluntary fashion. That's what I mean. How do you actually achieve? That, that is a win-win scenario. I replaced, my, my wife and I replaced our old uh, natural gas-powered furnace about eight years ago after we realized that our air conditioner was about to die a dismal death. And rather than have that happen in the middle of August, we decided to preempt that replaced all of our heating and cooling at the same time and took advantage of tax breaks and rebates from PG&E that reduced the cost up front by about 40%. And then after we did that, it dramatically reduced our heating and cooling bill in our house. It was a win-win scenario for us. And we, th I think that could be replicated. My original point was I enjoyed being able to look at examples like that, take my background in public policy and apply it and convince my colleagues to reach intelligent choices about how to go forward. And then we see later on, how did it work out? And then, of course, you always adjust because it's, we're always going to make mistakes. We always can, can make further improvements. But that's an important part of, of who I am to try to take policy and apply it to governance. What won't you miss about being on the council? Oh, politics is a tough business, you know. And, you know, I knew about that from my prior career as a newspaper man. But, but what, what but makes it tough? Because there is a small group of people whose way to operate is through personal attack and personal attack and personal attack. They will make stuff up. They will get certain outlets to run with it. And I'll, I'll just say the, the, the most horrible example of that you saw in this last election were the attacks on Gloria Partita, where she was accused of being a felon. It was absurd. It was wrong. It was immoral that folks would mount that kind of attack. I had my own also set of personal attacks on me that were falsehoods, but she really caught it because after that had bubbled in that cauldron enough, the Enterprise even ran a story about it. And it, it was, I think, damaging to people's reputations for that kind of thing to happen in these elections. I'm not saying that's never happened before, but it happened with an intensity and a clear strategy of the politics of personal destruction. That we've not seen around here before. Yeah. I do want to mention uh, that's a complicated issue that you were talking about. The Enterprise did write about it. So if people are curious to read more about it, you could search that in the Davis Enterprise. By my account, there are about 24 living former members of the Davis City Council, going back to the 70s at least. I thought it'd be interesting to invite you all into a room sometime and, and just see what you all thought. I'm wondering if there's anything about the experience that you think you'd all agree on. I bet we would all agree that what you actually work on in your in your years on council can also often be very different than where you started and what your intentions were. So when I ran in 2018, we would be asked in the debates, what is that most important issue? My response, and maybe it was from having been around state government a bit, was to say, it's probably something we never heard of yet. And then we had COVID. And then we had the murder of George Floyd. 
And before that, we had the murder of one of our local police officers. All of those things had profound impacts on our city council and the work we focused on. I bet there were similar and parallel stories from my other colleagues who had served in these roles. Kind of the nature of life, right? It's like John Lennon said, it's what happens while you're making other plans. Yes. All right. We've been talking with Dan Carson, former member of the Davis City Council. I am Bill Buchanan. This is Davisville on KDRT. Dan, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. And thanks for listening, folks.